Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 32. We're actually only going to be there for a moment, and then we will go over to Judges, chapter 6. I, I tell you what, it's, uh, it's wonderful to hear the gospel message that saved our soul, that goes out for the saving of other souls. May we always be a church that preaches the gospel. I tell you what, there are so many simple statements that are so impacting. One that I make a lot, and of course, I mean, many make it on the subject of this morning, and that is Jesus plus nothing equals uh, salvation. That, that's what I've said. But if you heard this morning, he said Jesus plus something equals nothing concerning the matter of salvation. And I don't know, maybe I've missed people saying that before, but I, I've never heard that turned around, and I, I just loved it. It was so impacting. You know, Colossians the first chapter and a half of Colossians, you can sum that up as Jesus plus nothing equals salvations. And, and we back up the truth of salvation all through the Bible. May we never stop preaching the truth of salvation. It is the gift of God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus finished everything that the Father required of Him to do in order to be satisfied to save you and I. Jesus did it all. We're saved by the marvelous, amazing grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Colossians, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, If any man's work shall be burned, and, and this is the Christian writing to the church, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So there is no deed, there are no amounts of deeds, no work done to get saved, and no work done to stay saved. If you're saved, you're saved. The invitation to come to Jesus to receive salvation, it is free. It is freely given. That's not just one way or one offer. That's the only way to be saved. If somebody says that salvation in Jesus is another way, look, I, I don't know that Jesus and I don't know that salvation. It's as, it's as simple as that. And, and so on Sunday mornings we're going to have these evangelistic sermons and the truths of salvation. And I'm looking very forward to it, to, to souls being saved as well as hearing that gospel that, that saved us. You know, we don't do that much on Sunday night and Wednesday night. We typically have more Bible study or, or teaching to the Christian. And, and this goes without saying everyone understands that 
that there's the invitation to salvation and then there are instructions to the church for Christian living. And, and so this, you know, if there's one who, who needs to be able to understand or distinguish, you know, it's worth the time just to say for a minute that, that Christian instruction has nothing to do with our position in Christ. We are positioned in Christ and we're going to heaven. And so the duties and the behaviors and the doctrines that we share and uh, geared to the Christian, it has nothing to do with our position. If, if you ever hear anyone trying to twist the scriptures of, of the, the instructions to the church... And, and trying to do something to make one think that, that you can lose your salvation, then, then throw that ludicrous legalism in the garbage. Because instruction to the church, it's not about our position in heaven. We're, we're saved. We're going to heaven. But instruction to the church is about our condition as Christians. And so after we're saved, we, we have our position, and then there's so much instruction for the Christian in the Bible. The Apostle Paul was led of the Holy Spirit to give us so much instruction on our behavior and our instruction for Christian living. And that is not about our position in Christ. That is about the condition that we're in. We're given eternal life by grace. That's our position. And, and when we're saved, we, re we receive the Holy Spirit and we receive instruction for the Word of God to live out our lives here for the glory of God. And that speaks of our condition. And, and so you have the invitation to the sinner to be saved by grace. And then we have the instruction to the saint to live for God's glory. We're saved by grace. We live for God's glory. We, we, it's about our position when we're saved. It's about our condition as we give instruction to the church. And maybe we didn't need any of that and everyone can clearly ha have an ear to hear and distinguish the two. And if no one needed that, well... Uh, that was, well, I'm never going to say we waste time sharing truth. But anyway, uh, we are now going to be in Hebrews. Just for a second, if you have your thumb there, we'll be in Hebrews 11.32. And, and I want to title this tonight, Who Chooses Who God Uses. I, I said this morning, we're going to talk about God, the people God uses. And so the quick answer on who chooses who God uses might be from everyone God. And there is a right answer in that. God has specific tasks and He has, he has specific children that He wants to use for those tasks. But in another way, I would like for us to consider tonight that it can be true that we choose who God uses. Because we find in God's Word that He has given instruction on how to be used by Him. 
And so we're going to look at five things tonight. Five requirements, if you want to say that. Five qualifications, if you want to say that. And of course, this is, uh, this is a message to the saved, not to the unsaved. The unsaved cannot be used by God until they're saved. So the people God uses, the unsaved, are, are out of the picture in this. We want them to be saved, but they're not. Uh, but every, every saved soul can be and is to be used by God. Not one Christian is left out of God's plan of being used by Him. He wants to use every single Christian. The truth is, not, not every Christian is being used of God. And, and we need help you know, from God's Word to be able to correct that, to be able to get us to a place where we can. So we're going to look at five things in order for us to be used by God tonight. But let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. It, of course, you know what goes on before this point a testimonial of all of those who have lived by faith, and we're not finished when we get here. It says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, Obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's, that's kind of unique there to where, you know, the testimony of, of the others, like, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Moses, and Rahab, the event of their faith, not that that was the only one, but the event that's given, it's, it's right there with them. But then you have these six names put together, and the other prophets, and then a list of those things. I, I kind of looked at that, and thought, I thought, what a good six-message sermon series on these six who are listed a little differently. I'm not saying we're going to do that. We're probably not. But we are going to go ahead and look at Gideon tonight. And as we do, we're going to see five things in this that are particular to God using us. I preached a sermon about ten years ago here on, on Gideon. And uh, right here from the book of Judges. And we're going to be in Judges tonight. You can go ahead and go there to Judges 6 if you're not already there. And we're going to get started uh, right there. It's, it's a different sermon than before. It's different points being made, but it's all truth. It was all truth 10 years ago about Gideon, and it's all truth now. Gideon was used by God. God wanted to use Gideon to take out the enemy. And there are some steps along the way that we see that God was helping Gideon to be in the right place 
to be able to do the right thing. And, and so some things had to happen here in order for Gideon to be used by God. And so in Judges chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, we see that God uses plain old people. Can, can you be a plain old common person for God to use you? Because that's the first thing we see. And you're probably familiar with Gideon and the, and the army that he led. That army dwindled, but, but they defeated the Midianites. And, and it was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon that won. And so anyway, in verse 14 it says, And the Lord God looked upon him, Gideon, and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? God wants to use Gideon. And he said unto him, Gideon said unto the Lord, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. I'll go over, you, you think about how Gideon disqualified himself by his family and his ranking in the family. But listen as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty." And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. The first thing that we need to realize here tonight, to be used by God, is that it doesn't depend on our talent, our ability, our natural ability, anything about our IQ. We don't have to be gifted in any certain areas or come from a certain family in order to be used by God. The Bible actually teaches us that those things can be hindrances against being used by God. If there's something special in our lives or from a prominent family, we're, we're likely to, to have a confidence in ourself in order to serve God. You know, you, you might think that, a, that, a, that someone who has taught public school as a teacher for 20 years might be better suitable for a Sunday school teacher than the one who just got saved not too long ago with a desire to teach. But, but we may be very well wrong about that. Those things could be hindrances instead of helps. Yet, what do Christians do? 
Christians are always tempted to envy the ability or the character of another person. And oh, if I could just do this like this, how, how much better could I be? If I could be like this person, I could be so much better. Or I can't believe God called me to, to lead the music. Or I can't believe God called me to be a deacon. Or I can't believe God called me to preach with me and, and, and my issues and, and shortcomings that God could have done better. And, and so, you know what? This is something to seriously learn to get over because it's not about us. It's not about our ability at all. Uh, Gideon is disqualifying himself uh, due to things uh, in his life or in his family, but doing so, he actually made God's checklist in one area. Because God uses the weak things and the base things of the world to confound the wise. The people God uses, look, this has to do with availability, not ability. Make yourselves available to God. Humble yourselves and be led of the Holy Spirit to be used by God. And I'll say what probably 90% of preachers would say on this subject right now. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's a nice little rhyme and a catchy, memorable statement. But can we really have that to soak in? Because this is a struggle for many Christians. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That is the truth. And when God looks at us, He sees the extraordinary things that He can do through our lives. And He's not looking at a natural talent or anything like that. He's looking at an available, submitted Christian to Him. Gideon saw himself as nothing, but God saw what he could do in and through Gideon. The scriptures say that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. It's not about a man. It's not about a woman. It's about God indwelling that man or that woman. It's not about earning a scholarship to be used by God. It's simply about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we move on, you don't have to answer out loud, but do you realize that God can use you, will use you, and He's going to use you. Everyone here, God will use you and I for His glory. You can be used by God. Will you see tonight that you can't disqualify yourself by any shortcoming or any lacking in your life or come up with anything to God that's relevant to say, I can't be used by God. Every child of God can be used by God. God uses plain old people. And we can be thankful for that. Everyone has a message in God's Word tonight. God uses plain old people. But go with me to verses 25 and 26, and we're going to see 
while the statement is true that God uses pure people from the example of Gideon. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, that's Gideon, and he's working on him and getting him prepared to be used. So he says, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of the seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. In order for Gideon to be used by God, he had to tear down the altar of Baal. And he had to build an altar to the Lord. Baal was a filthy fertility god of sexuality, and Israel was worshiping Baal. Not all of them, but a lot of them. That was going on, and his, his dad erected that altar to Baal, that they might worship Baal. And Gideon had to throw that altar down. He, the idols had to be throw, thrown down. And anyone who will be used by God today has to throw down the idols at, at God's instruction, at God's command, throw down the idols in order to serve God, to be used of God. To not throw down the idol, but to try to be busy and active in the things of God, that's the practice of religion. And religion never works. What will happen is someone will be trying to do more good than the bad they're hanging on to. And religion, I mean that in a negative sense when I say religion, it is a mess that we fall into and that does not work. Gideon had to do away with the altar that stained Israel, that stained the people and, and build an off altar of sacrifice to the Lord before he could be used by God's instruction. And before God will use us, we, we must get sin out of our lives. It must be confessed, forsaken, repented of. We must get it out of our lives. The Bible tells us to be clean. And in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 11, it says, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord." The Lord calls us to be prepared as a cleansed vessel to be used by Him. Our hearts must be clean to be used by the Lord. Idolatry is not sticks and stones today. And you may say, how do we throw down the idols today? We don't have sticks and stones and some kind of golden overlay over something that we worship. Well, anything that we love more, 
anything that gets more attention, anything that comes above God is an idol of today in our lives. And it must be thrown down by the requirement of God upon His children for us to serve God. If we try to be used without the removal of these things in our lives, that's religion and religion will not work. God will not allow it to work, but to be pure in relationship with Jesus. Following Jesus, close to Jesus, in relationship with Him. Look, this, this isn't jumping through some kind of hoops for this to happen. When it's all about Jesus, that's what's going to happen in our lives. We're going to be able to have pure lives. We're going to be able to throw down the idols and get them out of the way. God uses pure people. And the good news, He can make any one of us pure. Any one of us pure. I've heard too many people say to me, oh, you have no idea what my life has been. You don't know what I've been and, and where I've been and what I've done. I, I've, I've been one of Satan's generals. And maybe there's no one here with that kind of testimony tonight. Maybe someone listening online. Or maybe there is. And, and, I just, and someone would say, I just can't be clean. You don't understand. My response to that is don't insult God's power to cleanse. He will cleanse the most wretched sinner and make the sinner white as snow. Consider David in the 51st Psalm with the adultery and the murder. And he said, create, he repented and said, create in me a clean heart. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And guess what God did? God did that. He gave him a clean heart. He restored his joy. And David says in that 51st Psalm, Then shall I teach transgressors thy ways. How about that? That just kind of popped up in thoughts through this message that David knew the process. David didn't say, hey, I'm going to go out and teach transgressors thy ways, and, and I'm going to get better. He said, no, create in me a clean heart, God, and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then will I teach transgressors thy ways. What a, what a beautiful testimony of the power of God to forgive, of God to cleanse. Anyone can be cleansed. No one gets so far gone that they can't be cleansed by God. His agent for cleansing, it always holds up. There's never a need for anything stronger. Anyone can be clean. God not only uses pure people, though. God uses powerful people. If you look in verse 12 at the end of the verse... The Lord is speaking to Gideon, but He doesn't call him Gideon. He calls him mighty man of valor. God uses powerful people. Hold on, Brother Kenneth. You just said, you just read where the Holy Spirit had Paul write, God uses the weak things. Now you're saying that, that there's like this requirement of being a powerful person? Well... Gideon 
is weak on his own. He has already seen that. He's weak on his own. But, and there, there are so many things that are going on here. There are so many things that are getting done. For, uh, chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are, are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaiming in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there, and there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand at that point. There's a, there's a lot of things going on here. God is dwindling Gideon's army. And what that is helping Gideon to see is that the power and the might and the courage is not in himself or it's not in a big army, but it's to be in the Lord. But in the dwindling of that army, look how those 22,000 left because they were scared and they were fearful. So we see several things going on here. God is teaching Gideon not to, have, not to have confidence in his own power, in his own self, but that his strength and might would be in the Lord to be able to do this job. Yet at the same time, we see that 22,000 could not be used of God because they were scared. That is not what God puts in His people. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God gives us the spirit of power. God gives us the spirit of love. And a sound mind means you can't be stampeded. God gives strength to His people. It's a matter of knowing that our strength is in God and it's not in self. He requires us that that we be a powerful people to be used by Him. You're a powerful person tonight. You may know it in the Lord or you may not, but every child of God here is an, an amazing, mighty, powerful person to be used of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Your God dwelling in you. You are a powerful person to be used by God. Know it. Those of Israel who were afraid, they didn't know it. You know that tonight. Know that tonight that you can be used of God. I remember talking to a lady and the idea of witnessing came up. This lady's in glory now. But we were talking about witnessing and, and she said, oh, I, I've never told anyone about Jesus. I'm saved. I know Jesus is my Savior. I know it's wrong, but I've never told anyone about Jesus. And I said, well, why would you not do that? She said, because I'm afraid of the persecution. I, ju- I just can't deal with that, whatever at all. Look, God can't use us if we're afraid. 
And we don't have to be afraid because He has indwelt us with His power. To have a spirit of power to be able to be used by Him. There are a lot of people in the world and they use bravery for wrong things and ungodly things to their own detriment. But the children of God are made to be brave for the glory of God. And so this is a requirement that we see for God to use us, that we be a powerful people. But not only that, we need to be a precise people. Look with me and go along as I read in chapter 7 and verses 4 through 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. We found some more of Israel that couldn't be used by God. Because when they were taken down to the water in that hot valley, some got down in such a vulnerable position to drink of the water. Most of them did. But you had 300 of them that cupped the water and put their, put their hand to their mouth, and they were able to keep a lookout. And so we must be a precise people. We talked about a powerful people, and we talked about having courage, but it's not just courage. Now this courage is coupled with caution, and it's not a contradiction either. The Bible instructs us to work in power, but what else does the Bible instruct us to do? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. The child of God is to watch and pray. We don't just go bowling forward in blind bravery. There is an adversary against every single one of us, the devil. And if we don't go about cautiously in our Christian life, there lies our calamity. That's a warning of an enemy that we are no match for on our own. We're no match without being cautious. We are warned in the Bible to be cautious of this enemy. Watch and pray, the Bible says. Let's kind of bring this down to, to our everyday life. 
for just a minute and being careful and being sober and being vigilant and being circumspect. And that would mean be careful what we watch on the TV. We can't just watch anything on the TV. We can't just listen to any language that's being voiced. We can't look at just anything with our eyes. We can't hang around just anyone we want to and everything's going to be fine. That's not legalistic. God says amen to that. God loves that cleansing. He loves a precise people. He's called us to be a precise people. And it comes down to things like our everyday life as we're sharing right now. One preacher who proved to be a very amazing man of God throughout the world, pretty well known as an amazing Christian, said that right in the middle of his work that he was doing, right in the middle of the will of God, he said, I live scared. I stay scared. And James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 would expound on what he was talking about. He was scared of temptation bringing forth lust, and lust when it is conceived bringing forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringing forth death. He had an amazing ministry of faithful testimony, and he stayed scared. That's good advice. Might sound confusing again. We're to be, Brother Kenneth, we're to be brave and we're to be courageous and a people of power. And, 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 if, we're, and if we're afraid, we can't be used by the Lord. But now you're saying be scared. Well, be brave about the right things and be scared about the wrong things. Okay? Some belittle our enemy, the devil. Others beware of our enemy. Who is most likely to fall to the enemy? The one who belittles the enemy. I stay scared, that man of God said. The one who belittles. If we do not stay on guard, God can't use us. A good time to stop and for me to ask myself and for all of us to ask ourselves tonight, are we on guard as Christians? Are we sensitive to the enemy that we have? If we are not on guard, then we have... Look, we have a protected future. I mean, we are signed, sealed, and delivered for heaven. Heaven is our home Our citizenship is in heaven. We are blessed in heavenly places in Christ. We are going to heaven. We have a protected future. But if we are not on guard, we're going to be unprotected in the present from a very dangerous enemy. The Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. David slew Goliath. All of Israel and all of this army and, and people older and, and more advanced in, in battle than David. And none of them will stand up to Goliath. And David says, I have a sling and a stone. I'll, I'll take out this uncircumcised Philistine. 
And he did. Cut his head off. That was the first giant. The second one was Ishbibanoth. And he had David by the throat, ready to take him out. What was it? What was the turnaround? Some, someone tried to write that it was David's age. Don't give me that. David said the battle is the Lord's. What fits to me is let a man take heed lest he fall. David didn't take heed. And, and he would have fallen except that he was bailed out of that situation. God uses precise people. David didn't get to go to battle anymore. You're not doing this anymore. God uses precise people. God uses perceiving people. Chapter 7, verses 12 through 15, if you'd look at that with me. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along and his fellow answered and said this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon the son of Joash a man of Israel for into his hand God hath delivered Midian and all the hosts and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. God can use this plain old boy Gideon. He he helped him. He helped him to see he's got to be a pure man. And he helped him to get there and to be a powerful one. And the wise warning to be a precise one. But he had to be a perceiving one. Just like you and I must be perceiving, we must know who our Lord and Savior is who we are in our Lord and Savior, and what we can do in Him. God helped Gideon with this. He got his ear down there by the interpretation of that dream. And this barley bread went tumbling in that dream. And Gideon was that barley bread. How, how about this? That was like generic bread. That was poor man's bread. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of fancy stuff in that bread. It was just general, plain old bread. This plain old boy, Gideon, was able to perceive who he is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan does not want you and I to know who we are in Jesus Christ our Lord. When we perceive who we are in Jesus Christ like Gideon did, 
We know that we have won. We know that that we sang victory in Jesus this morning. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We know that we have won when we know our Savior, when we know who we are in Him and what He can do. Gideon had to see how small he was in God's sight, though, for God to use him. Anyone who sees themselves as big in God's sight, God cannot use that Christian. We must see how small we are and how big He is. We must know that we are barley, if you will. Our hearts must be pure. If we don't confess, forsake, repent, and then worship and serve, well, we're going to get religion out of that. We're going to be empty-hearted. We're going to be empty-handed. We're not going to have anything from that. We must be pure to be used by God. We must be powerful in the Lord. We must know that. The Apostle Paul, what a, what a known man of God among Christians. What a known man of God he was among the enemies of the cross. Those who detested the cross and rejected Jesus, they knew who Paul was. Paul made his mark while he was on this earth as a child of God, and he was not fearful. We must live by faith instead of fear. God imputes us with the ability to be courageous, not to be a coward. We do, have not been given the spirit of fear. And, and again, closing on these points, we must be precise to be used by God because in this world, we're, we're down in a valley just like that army was. Those who weren't cautious of the enemy while they were doing something that's to be done in daily battle, they could not be used. And the same goes for us. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Christian life, it can't be a lazy life. It can't be a life with no guard up. God will not use a Christian who is lazy about this precise protection that's needed every minute of our lives. The armor of God is not for a fashion show. It's because we need it for this unseen spiritual warfare that is constantly going on. Having our loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and praying and knowing that we have a very dangerous enemy, but also perceiving who we are in Jesus Christ and all that we have in Him. Let us be a people that God can truly use. In one sense, 
we choose. We choose who God uses. If we humble ourselves before His requirements, and I'm not talking about a bunch of jumping through hoops and effort for all of... This isn't like a golf swing and trying to remember all of these things. This is what's going to happen when we're walking closely with Jesus. This is what's going to prepare us to be able to be used by God. And by the way, you, did you notice, did you catch, did you read in there? In every instance, in every qualification, God encouraged Gideon along. God encouraged him. What? There, were, there, was, there was one thing. 6.23, when he, be a powerful people. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And in every case, God helped Gideon to be everything he needed to be to be used by God. And that same help is for every single one of us today. We can be used by God. I, I don't know about you, but... I just really don't want to sit on the bench in this life. I'd love to play first string for God if He would have me and allow me to. And I'm going to do everything that, that I can to be sensitive and humble before His requirements so that, so that I may be used by God. And, and may we all do that so that we all may be used by the Lord. And this is a message of course, for Christians tonight. It first takes being a Christian to be able to be used by God. And I, and I, and I never go into the Christian life or the, or, the, or the instruction or the duties with someone who is unsaved. They're not there yet. But they're in a place to receive a free gift from God. His grace by Jesus Christ taking our place. He took our punishment. He took our penalty on the cross at Calvary. And He paid it all that we might be saved. I'm sure I told you about my mama's Thanksgiving table. And, and I've invited people through the years. And they all, what, are they, what, are, what does somebody want to do? They want to bring something. I want to bring something. Well, no, no, don't, you don't bring anything. My mom doesn't need anything. Well, I'm going to bring something. No, please don't. I'm inviting you, but don't bring anything. And so they go, and they're like, well, maybe I can wash the dishes. You get there, and you can't even salt and pepper the food. Everything is laid out, and all that can be done is to receive it. And Jesus has given everything that is to be done for us to be saved. It's a free gift by grace, and all we can do is receive it. And after we receive that free gift by grace, how can we not humble ourselves before God to be everything we need to be according to His Word, by confidence in Him that we can be everything according to His Word, to live for Him, for His glory. We sang a song this morning. I love the selection of music this morning. 
And one of them, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. One preacher got mad at that song because he said, we don't owe him a thing. It's freely given by grace, our salvation is. But, but it doesn't have to be that. Why can it be out of the depths of our heart that Jesus Christ, who paid it all and saved us by His grace, that we would be overwhelmed with a desire out of love for Him to live for His glory while we're here and to obey His instructions and to have confidence that we can walk in every requirement that He's given us. And, 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 and the qualifications He gave Gideon, He helped him to do it. And, and it's there for us. And He's worthy of that. He's worthy of you and I serving Him with the rest of our lives after He's freely saved us. That is the least we can do. All to Him I owe. So I don't get mad at that song. I think about that as just an expression of gratitude to Him for everything He's done for us. That, that we might feel debted to one another. That we might, we're not debted to Him for our salvation, but, but there's just not enough we can do to live for His glory. Let us bow in prayer. Father God, Lord, we come before you tonight and we, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your men of God and, and just seeing their lives and that they're just like us, people in the flesh, and we need your help. I, Lord, we wouldn't have a clue what to do for you and how to live for you, how to behave, if it weren't for your word and the instructions you give in your word, I thank you, God, for those tonight. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit who is given to us in this life to empower us to live the Christian life, to be able to understand your word. It leads and guides us into all truth. Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace that has saved us. And if there be one here tonight, oh, may they clearly know that salvation is fully given for free by the price that Jesus paid. And if one would only trust their lives to Jesus as a sinner, knowing they're guilty before God, but that Jesus paid the price. And the Bible says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May they know tonight that if they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved from all of their sins and have a home in heaven. And, oh, Lord, may we ponder what's been done to us. We always love to hear the gospel that has already saved us because we're just overwhelmed with your love and your goodness every time. Take our lives, Lord, now that we're saved, and may we live for you, for your glory. We pray these things tonight in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If everyone could please stand.